Everyone, welcome everyone. Welcome to the program. We are we are really pleased to have you here today on TW Now. I'm joined with, by Mr. Peter Nathan and Mr. Gerald Weston. Uh, both, all three of us are, are ministers of Jesus Christ. Mr. Nathan, a longtime pastor and a writer for the Tomorrow's World magazines. Many of you have seen him before, uh, teacher and lecturer. Mr. Gerald Weston uh, has uh, served around the world uh, in, in different offices, Canada and and um, the United Kingdom and so forth, and now is the presiding evangelist and um, is helping us uh, here in Charlotte uh, lead the charge as we preach the gospel to the world at the end of the age, which is the commission for the church that God has given uh, to us. So we are very thankful to have you on the program today. Today's topic, like all topics, we hope will be helpful. Today's topic is uh, John 6, 44, God's plan for everyone. What we're going to talk about are questions such as, is God saving everyone now? Uh, predestination, what is predestination? Is everyone predestined? Uh, you know, what, what is the story for the rest of the, the world, those who are not Christians, those who maybe died before they even heard the name of Jesus Christ? Uh, this is a very fundamental topic that, that, that Christians struggle with, and so we hope the program is very helpful for all of you. Uh, Mr. Weston and Mr. Nathan, if I could jump right into the program, and let's just start with a simple question. Uh, is God trying to save everyone now? And give me more than a yes or no. Let's just start with, with that question, and then we'll, we'll dig in more deeply. Well, thank you for uh, allowing me to be on this particular program. It's a very exciting topic, and it's something that is very encouraging when we really know the truth. Is God trying to save everybody now? A simple scripture, John 6, 44, Jesus said, not, uh, you can't come to him except through the Father. No man can come to me except uh, through the Father. So if that's the case, and if Jesus spoke in parables, which he says in Matthew, the 13th chapter, beginning in verse 10, when his disciples asked him, uh, why do you speak in parables? He showed that it was to hide the meaning, not to make the meaning clear, as so many people think. So is God trying to save the, the whole world? Yes, in the long run, but are you trying to do it now? And the answer is no. I'd like a quick uh, comment from Mr. Nathan, but I, I wanted to just make a quick comment in response to what you said. Uh, interesting that you brought up the point that God spoke through Jesus Christ spoke in parables, and, and really not the majority of the world wasn't intended to understand those parables. And so in the program today, we may get to some scriptures that, that frankly, some or passages that some people use wrongly to assume that everybody's in heaven today and so forth. And I think you make a good point that, um, that some people misunderstood what Jesus was saying in those parables. Mr. Nathan, quick comments? Yeah, very quickly. I think this is one of the greatest conundrums for Christianity faces. How do people become saved? I have an article here from 1981 which addresses it from a 1980s viewpoint of the world at that point in time had about four, million, 4 billion people. Now we've got 7 billion, so the problem has escalated. And the question was, how do we save these people in the world? And uh, this man only answer to it, this particular writer's only answer was, we've got to do more of trying to reach people and get to people. So Christianity operates on the basis, yes, this is a time we've got to save everybody. You, um, you, you phrased it and summarized it well. We are live. Notice Mr. Nathan's alarm went off on his tablet. So that just proves that we are, uh, we're not fooling you, we are live. So um, you, you, you raised the question or the, the, the problem that Christians have struggled with. And, 
And, th- you know, this is important. Um, what about people who never heard the name of Jesus Christ in the first place? Do we have an arbitrary, cruel God that's going to doom them to hell and so forth? Um, so I want to bring up a Christianity Today article that will help us to launch further into this topic. I also want to remind everybody out there to please share the, uh, the, the program. So if you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube right now, please share the program. That is so very helpful. We appreciate the fact that everybody uh, gives us comments and shares the, the program. Uh, go ahead and, and ask your questions, post your comments. As you, as you know, we, we try to answer some, one or two on the program live, and we'll often reply uh, in person to people later if they have a question. There's a Christianity Today article that we were talking about, and I hope that our control room can put this up on screen. The question is, do children go to heaven when they die? So leave that up on screen for a while, and I'll read the introductory paragraph, because this really helps set the, the question. Uh, several years ago, this uh, pastor is, is writing, I took a group of college students to the Amazon basin to share the love of Christ in some remote river communities. After a few days in one village, I left a small group of students there and continued upriver to another village. After I left, a young family in the community tragically lost a six-month-old baby to an unknown Ill- illness and dehydration. The parents asked me to do the, f- the, 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 the parents asked my students to do the funeral. Those 19- and 20-year-olds, the author continues, were not prepared for the emotional and spiritual gravitas of the situation. Now, I want to pause real quickly. These are sincere people. I mean, you know, they, they, they're there trying to serve. They, 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 are, they are professing Christians, and they're, they're worried about this little baby. Is this baby going to burn and roast, uh, you know, in hell forever? And so, basically, the article continues... Um, They did their best to minister to that family, but they all felt the acute burden of answering the inevitable theological questions arising from such a difficult loss. What happens when children die? Are they saved? What do we we say to comfort people? Uh, And I won't read the rest of the article, but it goes on to mention that, you know, theologians and Christians have struggled with this question for for years. So with that, with that background— uh, this is nothing that we take lightly. I mean, we're pastors, and we, we, we care, and God cares, and God's not cruel. He doesn't want people to... So where does the misunderstanding and confusion come from? What are some Bible scriptures, some comments we could put on the table now to help point the, our, our audience in the right direction? Well, if I could jump in firstly and, and make a comment about uh, the question of reading the Bible. Uh, Christianity today uh, privileges the New Testament to the exclusion of the old. And as a result, they miss out on what the backstory was to the New Testament. So they don't really understand the context of the New Testament. And many of the scriptures that are in the New Testament require an understanding of what went before. And without that, they come to wrong conclusions. And so uh, we, we... we see uh, Augustine and various other church fathers coming up with uh, conclusions to these issues without any real understanding of the, the entirety of Scripture. I, I think that when we look at uh, what you mentioned there about uh, not reading the Old Testament, uh, Christianity today has rejected the Old Testament. They have rejected the laws of God, and among those laws and statutes are the uh, seven annual holy days. And it really kind of uh, uh, angers me a little bit that the ministers of this world 
reject all these things when the answer is right there in front of them. They don't know the answer to this conundrum as you describe it because they don't uh, keep the holy days. And the holy days actually portray God's plan of salvation. That's why we have a, a particular booklet here, uh, The Holy Days, God's Master Plan. Uh, it shows that God has a, a time sequence that he's working with people and how he's working with them. And it is clear to any thinking person that not everybody has heard of the name of Christ, or even if they have, that they've understood what that means or understood his plan. So what do you do with all those people? And this, uh, uh, the, the holy days that uh, God has given to us actually explain that, and there's no excuse for people not knowing it if they simply had uh, kept the holy days. You, um, you, you didn't phrase it exactly this way, but you made me think of this, this other article that, that we wanted to talk about today. Um, if, you, if we ignore God's holy days, if we ignore what the Bible really teaches, and we're going to give answers and get into this in the program, but if, if you ignore what the Bible really teaches about salvation, then you, you kind of force your thinking or you force God into this illogical um, conundrum, into this just, it's, it's, it becomes illogical. And so here's an article that really, the, the title is, 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 is great in, in how much it shows how wrong and pathetic uh, the, the thinking is. So the title, it's a Huffington Post article, You Know God's Going to Change His Mind and Save Everyone in the End, Right? Question mark. Uh, wow, you know, so, so, so the, the premise there is that you have a God who you, you, is untrustworthy, and his word's untrustworthy, and you sort of throw the Bible and God and Old Testament new out the window because, ah, he's going to change his mind. And, and, and I think that that's not only wrong and disingenuous, but it, it's also lazy. It, it's, it's lazy. You know, people um, need to drill into the Bible. And, and uh, Mr. Nathan, you were talking about the Old Testament a little bit, and Mr. West was talking, referenced the Holy Days. And I know you wanted to make some more comments about salvation and and God's plan. Uh, do you want to add some comments sure. to the Old Testament? Or? Uh, yeah, I, but let me start on the New Testament, because that's where everyone starts from. So Paul in 1 Timothy 2 talks about uh, the Father's will that everyone be saved and come to repentance. The Apostle Peter talks about it in first, 2 Peter chapter 3. But these are concepts that are rooted in the Old Testament. So we go back to Ezekiel, and Ezekiel's prophesying about how all peoples, all nations, are going to come to an understanding of the God of Israel's way of life. Isaiah talks about it. He mentions nations and so on. Now, it's interesting when you come to uh, Isaiah chapter 2, talks about all nations coming up to Jerusalem to keep the law, to be taught the Torah of God, so to speak. And the concept of other nations is always in the concept of obedience to the Torah, and I use that for a larger meaning than just law, to be taught the entirety of the way of God. And so Zechariah talks of them coming up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, which is one of the holy days that Mr. Weston was talking of. So the concept of other nations and so forth coming to have salvation is through the keeping of the holy days. In that holy day that you just mentioned, Zechariah, the 14th chapter, is really uh, talking about the coming of Christ. It talks about how Jerusalem is going to be a divided city. Half will go into captivity, half will not. And then it says, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth in verse 9. And then he commands all nations to come up, and he mentions Egypt. And he says, if you don't come up, then he's going to cut off your rain supply and give them the plague. And this will happen to all nations. 
So it's not Israel only, it is all nations, and specifically it, it mentions Egypt, but it, uh, that's just a type of, of all the nations. Go ahead, Mr. If, if it's interesting because even for the early New Testament church, this was a stumbling block as to how do people, how do other nations, such as Paul was addressing in his missionary outreach, how do these people come into uh, a, a case of salvation? And the church had to address this and understand it. They had to come to an understanding of the scriptures that they had not necessarily had beforehand. Well, and we also uh, need to understand uh, the timing. When is there salvation? And we'll get to that later in the program in a little more detail. So stay tuned, share the link, and send us your questions. But when will people be saved? And I want to, to, to mention, because we're talking about Old Testament, just it, it popped in my mind, uh, Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2 and 3. At the time of the end, uh, Michael, the great archangel, will stand up. At the time of the end, uh, some will, will be resurrected. Some will come out of the graves, uh, some to everlasting life, some to contempt. Some will shine as the brightness of the stars. Now, there's a lot in that little passage. Mm -hmm. I just sort of covered about 1,100 years of future prophecy, or Daniel did in, in those couple of verses. So uh, there's a lot there. But when will people, quote-unquote, be saved or, quote-unquote, go to heaven. I, it, we're, we're going to get into that, but as you both have mentioned, the Old Testament gives us answers as well as the, as the New. Mm -hmm. And if we ignore the Old or the New, we, we, we don't have the whole, the whole story. Right. Mr. Weston, were you wanting to say something there? I, I... Well, when you start talking about uh, the fact that there is an order to things mm -hmm. uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, it says, "...for as in Adam all die." Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. And then the question comes, uh, comes up, okay, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are his at his coming, but what about all the rest of the dead? And when we go over to Revelation, the 20th chapter, and of course that is the New Testament as we know, uh, it, it talks about... Uh, uh, this is the first resurrection and showing that the others do not live again until the end of that time. And these are people who really have never had a chance. We don't teach a second chance, but it, there's a second life. There's a second opportunity. Uh, not, not opportunity in the sense of, uh, uh, of a second chance, but a, a, a time when God is going to call people. And we have the booklet, Is This the Only Day of Salvation?, which goes into that wonderful knowledge, and it goes back to the question of that little baby or little infant there, uh, that, that died in, in the wilderness or the jungle or wherever it was. Uh, God, God loves all people. It's his will that all should come to a knowledge of the truth and that all should be saved. But he's not going to force us to be saved. And so he has to give everyone an opportunity. And most people today, by anyone's account, really have not been given that opportunity. Let's, that transitions pretty well into our next, uh, our next topic. The next topic is... Uh, who is predestined? And there's misunderstandings out there, and there's some people who kind of throw up their hands and say, we just can't know. And Mr. Weston, you recorded a, a telecast yesterday, I believe it was yesterday, the, the weeks go, the days go fast, and it was called, uh, Is It Worth the Gamble? So that will be airing in a, in a few weeks, and uh, please look for that on, uh, on television and YouTube and so forth, Is It Worth the Gamble? And some people just they, they gamble with their, 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 their eternal life. They gamble with salvation. They, but I think sometimes people throw up their hands because it's, there's so much confusion out there. And there are, there are ministers who are frankly misleading 
you know, pr- professing ministers out there who are misleading people. And so you get to the topic of, of who is predestined. Um, <clears throat> let me read briefly from the Encyclopedia Britannica. We won't get deeply into this, the theological terms, because it, it is pretty uh, heavy subject matter. But the Encyclopedia Britannica, just the first sentence I want to read, in brief, what is predestination? <clears throat> it's, it says the following, In Christianity, the doctrine that God has e- eternally chosen whom he intends to save. And I, I want to stop there, because we get into you know, what Calvin taught and what Martin Luther ta- taught and so forth, and it can get pretty deep. If you gentlemen want to mention that, that's fine. But um, so, so what what is the answer? Who is, predest- who is predestined uh, might be a question, but maybe the, the real question should be, um, what, what, what is the, what's the better question to ask? So for those who struggle with this, what, what is your, what is your al- answer, your counsel to those people? If I could make a comment here, uh, the critical scripture that people like to use for this is Romans chapter 8, and starting in verse 28 and uh, through verse 30. But it's rather interesting because, A, it never talks about a negative predestination. It is only a positive, people being predestined. And we find in in, uh, verse 28, the whole purpose of predestination is to be the firstborn among many brethren. So here we go back to the Old Testament again, because now we're talking about first fruits or firstborn, the firstborn among many brethren. So there is an option out there for the rest not being cut off. Paul is talking about a very specific part of our Father's plan here. You know, it's interesting that uh, people use the term predestination uh, to mean that it's you've been predestined to be saved or not saved. Uh, but if that were the case, why did Jesus say repent and believe the gospel? Why, why would we ever say repent? Uh, there'd be no need for it. We could simply read the Bible, let people know what's there, and it would all be determined in advance what they're going to do. God is not taking away uh, personal choice in this matter. But God had a, a plan of calling certain numbers of people, no doubt, at a certain time for a certain purpose. And uh, I often ask the question, if God is not calling everyone, why is he calling anyone now? And he's calling people to do a work. Mm-hmm. And he has this plan he's working out, and it's a big picture plan, and it's, it's difficult to give that in just a, a few sentences. One, one helpful verse would be Revelation 20, verse 5, that the rest of the dead don't live again till the thousand years are, are mm-hmm. finished. Uh, because people will often ask that. I, I did a presentation a few months ago, and, and that, that question came up at the presentation. Uh, you know, and it was really a predestination question. Okay, you know, uh, thank you, 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 you know, you, for coming to speak to us, and, and you're, you, you know, you're talking to us about the holy days and so forth, but what about those people who, who don't hear, hear this message? And um, as you said, Mr. Weston, it's, it's a huge topic, but, uh, there, God, but God's not going to abandon those people. The, the Bible teaches that uh, he's calling some now to do a work, maybe some out there who are listening to this, maybe this program will in, encourage them to, to go to their Bible and pray more and, and ask questions, and maybe they'll become part of the work that God is doing to preach the gospel, the good news. But what about that baby in Africa, right, that we read about in Christianity today? What about the millions of Buddhists who 
haven't even heard of the word Jesus Christ at all. Uh, well, Revelation 20, verse 5, and that, that's, that's, it's a little unfair just to throw that out there to the audience without explaining it fully, but does God have a plan? Yes. Yeah, well, if you continue reading Revelation chapter 20 and come down to verses 11 and 12, it talks about the rest of the dead being resurrected and being judged out of the books. What are the books being discussed? The Bible. Many of those people will have never seen the Bible before. Uh, because they lived at a time when the Bible wasn't available, printing wasn't available, or they lived in a totalitarian state like the Soviet Union or Mao's China where the Bible was banned. And they have the opportunity then to be judged according to those things from the book. So they have the opportunity to come to an understanding. I think it's interesting when you say judged, most people think that, that means sentence. Mm -hmm. And yet God tells us that we're under judgment at this time. Also there in Revelation, the, the 20th chapter, about the next verse, or the same verse where it says that the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And that's the book that we have to have our name written in, so to speak, figuratively. I don't know what kind of book that exactly is, but our name's written in. So that's not a closed book. That's an open book for those people to have that opportunity. Uh, if they were already lost forever, then why would they even be resurrected? Uh, that, that's one of the uh, the, the frustrations uh, that people have with Christianity. Uh, they ask the, the the question, you know, is God fair or not? And that's a legitimate question. It, it's mm -hmm. a very legitimate question. And you know, Martin Luther and, and Calvin and others have some explaining to do, as the as the the saying goes. Because if you read and and, and you know, for anybody out there who's a uh, you know a, a Calvinist or a Presbyterian Lutheran. or a Lutheran or whatever. Uh, what did these men teach? I mean, they, they taught that God predetermined that you would go to hell regardless of whether or not you were going to be a good person or merit heaven or not. That's literally what they taught, and that is, uh, you know, a very horrible uh, theology, and that would be unfair, and that's not what the Bible teaches at all. So you know, that's a subject for another another discussion, right, another day. Right, it is, it is. But that's but it's that's I think why so many people are so frustrated and just turned off mm -hmm. to Christianity. The mainstream, you know, we, we have a mainstream news. That's something that um, we hear kicked around. But mainstream Christianity is teaching this narrative that doesn't seem fair to people. Who's predestined? It, it's the whole question's a false a false premise. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, what is happening now is that people are moving away from that to a focus on the self, so that Christianity is becoming very much an indulgent mm -hmm. here and now, not what about the future. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Christianity is losing a lot of its power and emphasis because it's simply a way of entertaining or you might say, making a person feel good about themselves. I'm going to ask you a couple questions are coming on Facebook. So I'm going to ask you, uh, uh, the question is, can we determine, uh, or sorry, can we describe or define what calling means? What does it mean when we talk about um, God calling or, or having a calling? So think about that for a second. And I also want to mention that the booklets that Mr. Weston mentioned, as I think you, you hopefully know, they're free of charge on our website, tomorrowsworld.org. You can request them. You can sign up for our magazine. It's a bi-monthly magazine, and there it is on the, on the screen. You can request any booklet or read the booklets online. Uh, any of these booklets, booklets are free of charge. But uh, calling, that's a good question that came in. What does that mean when we use that term? 
Well, Christ said that many are called, but few are chosen. So there is a, a calling where God is opening up the minds. He said, says that no man can come to me except the Father in heaven draw him. So there obviously is a point of, of understanding where God, so to speak, turns a screw in the brain uh, to be able to understand uh, by his spirit to understand uh, what, what the message is. Then we have the responsibility of uh, responding to it. We can either respond to it or we can we can reject it. But many are given that opportunity, but don't do anything with it. And I think that when it says many are called, but few are chosen, that means far more people are being called than are actually accepting that calling. But if you understand these things, if you're beginning to understand them, the likelihood is you're being called. It's interesting if you look at the life of Christ as well. When he died and ascended to the heaven, he told the disciples to remain in Jerusalem um, until they received the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, how many people were in Jerusalem amongst them? 120 people. So in other words, we look at Christ's ministry, we look at the thousands of people who were fed on various occasions, the people who were healed, etc., etc. The end result of three and a half years' ministry was 120 people. Uh, Many were called, but few were chosen. Uh, and, of course, they were chosen then to do a work. And we find subsequent to that that people were added to the church through repentance. And, of course, I think the response of the people on the day of Pentecost, what shall we do, is an indication of being called. What have I got to do with this knowledge that I'm now holding in my hands? It's too hot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting, we often read Luke, the 14th chapter, when we are talking about baptism with an individual. And in that chapter, it describes three categories of people that are called to the wedding. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first one, he just got a new, well, new business, new oxen or something he had to, had to check out. Another one was, well, I just got married, so I don't have time. Uh, and each one has his excuse or her excuse that they really don't have time. They were given that opportunity, but they passed it by. Um, I'd like to draw our viewers' attention to um, the one of the current magazines that Dr. It's The cover is the Protestant Reformation. I think that our control room can put that cover up on screen. There it is. And uh, if you haven't read this series uh, by Dr. Meredith, who, who died recently, just um, incredibly profound. Please read it, and it, it gets into a lot of detail uh, regarding what we're talking about. And There's... there it is in, uh, in, in, in French. <laughs> uh, we, we have it available in Spanish and, and translated into German and, and, and other languages as well. But if you haven't read it, please do. Let's move on to our final question, what about everyone else? And we're kind of just continuing the same basic, basic topic, but, but there is an article that I wanted to, to reference from the Gospel Herald, and the title of the article is, Do Loved Ones in Heaven Look Down on Us? Pastors Billy Graham, Greg Laurie, John Piper respond. Now, our intent is not to be uh, rude toward others. We, we, that's not really our intent. But here you have these famous evangelists, and they're just wrong in, in how they're helping explain um, the, 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 the answers. So I'll break into the article, and uh, the, the author of the article is asking, kind of in the middle, does this mean people in heaven are sad when they see evil and so forth? 
And Billy Graham says, no, not at all, for they, unlike us, see the whole picture and so forth. Greg Laurie shares some of his thoughts on the issue, and he says, um, let me take it one step further. I think people in heaven know a lot more about earth than we may realize. So, so the premise here is that people are, are in heaven. Now, why am I referencing this in our, our final uh, topic about what about everyone else? There is this notion amongst Christians that—and this is actually a, a mixture of truth and error. The truth is God is merciful, and, but the error is that Christians basically put everybody in heaven because God's merciful. And so here you have Billy Graham and Greg Laurie and, and these others, and if you press them on it, not a whole lot of these— good intended, well, you know, probably wonderful, you know, human beings, not a lot of them want to just put everybody in hell burning. At the end of the day, they're putting everybody in heaven. So the question is, what about everybody else? And my question for Mr. Nathan and Mr. Weston, is there a better answer? There's only some being called now, but what about everybody else? Can we talk about that for a few minutes? Your booklet again, sir. Well, yes. Is the only day of sal- is this the only day of salvation? That that certainly is uh, is, is an important uh, publication that we have, and it, it may not be exciting in the sense it doesn't have a beast on the cover, it it doesn't have uh, the great whore that's described in Revelation, but it is a powerful uh, statement, and people are looking for answers and they're not getting the answers because they don't know where to go for them. Um, it, it, it's sad that. Uh, so many people suffer. Can you imagine, even if you went to heaven and you had to look down on what's happening to your relatives and the suffering they go through, and uh, like my Uncle George, who is an atheist, he would probably be considered by most people in hellfire right now frying. Now, even I wouldn't want to see that. I don't think any human being would want to see that. And, I, and there's so many things that come into play here. There's so much deception. One has to do with the, the immortal soul, the idea that when you die, that soul has to go someplace, either heaven or hell. And then what do you do with, with babies that uh, we started out with? Well, there's a place, uh, Catholicism has limbus infantium. Uh, Protestants really don't have the answers. Mm-hmm. I was talking with a young man uh, many years ago, over 40 years ago, who uh, asked his minister what happens to people who have never had an opportunity. And he said, well, if they don't repent, uh, if they don't choose Christ or accept Christ, I don't think they said repent, uh, they're going to, to burn in hell. And he said, is that, that fair? Uh, what about those people never heard? And uh, the minister replied to him, well, God will probably judge them based on what they know. And that's really where they end up going eventually because they recognize that it's not fair otherwise. But this 18-year-old then looked at his minister and he said, are you saying there's another name under heaven whereby we must be saved? And as I usually say, checkmate. He had him. Mm-hmm. He could not answer that. And yet every one of these ministers could know the answer if they obeyed God and kept the commandments, the, the, uh, the laws of God, the, the holy days. But instead, we throw the holy days out and say, well, that's, that's bondage. But then we accept all these uh, days that come out of rank paganism, including one that's coming up very shortly here. I think two things need to be said. Firstly, carrying on from what you're saying, the only people who end up being burned, those whose names are not found in the book of life. 
Mm-hmm. And the Bible provides a means whereby a name can be entered in the book of life, either in this life or in a resurrection. So there is that aspect. The concept that the world exists that Dante Alighieri sort of fostered through his comedy uh, of this ever-burning hell and people writhing and and, uh, suffering eternal torment is not a feature of the Bible itself. In fact, the Bible tells us that the dead know nothing. They lose consciousness and they do not have consciousness. So the idea of people looking down from heaven upon the earth is not supported in the Bible. And even the concept of heaven is not supported in the Bible when it comes right down to it. The average person thinks they're going to, well, I say the average person, those who think they're going there, what are they going to heaven for? What is the purpose of it? Is it some sort of a, as I call it, a celestial LSD trip? Is that what it is, that God has created us so that he can resurrect us so we can just be up there and be happy? Or does he have a greater plan and purpose? And it shows that he's going to come down this earth. That's where Christ is going to come. And those who are his are going to reign on this earth with Christ. We, we've written about this many times. This is not um, probably something that the control room can bring up. I, I just printed this out. Uh, one, another one of Dr. Meredith's articles, The Truth Almost No One Knows. And so go on to our website and and search for terms. Oh, the, 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 the control room brought it up. Those guys They're are really, good. really good. good. Uh, but search for terms like, you know, heaven and hell and salvation and predestination and uh, second coming, things like that. And please study what we've written, but study it with your Bible. Look up the scriptures in your Bible. As we always say, don't take our word for it. Believe what's in your Bible. And I, and I would, we're not, I'm not going to wrap it right yet, but I would add one thing to what you said, Mr. Weston. A lot of people, a lot of ministers and Christians don't don't want to obey the the Ten Commandments and keep the holy days. But I would add and say a lot of professing Christian ministers out there, they fear their paycheck or they fear society or their neighbor more than they fear the Word of God, because the Word of God is really straightforward. You know, no man's ascended to heaven, John 3, 13. Um, here in John 5, 25, Jesus Christ says... Uh, most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming when the dead will, will rise and, and hear the voice. There, there's so many scriptures that contradict what, what, what the world teaches, mm-hmm. as you were saying about heaven and so forth. So maybe for those out there in our audience, I, I would encourage you to um, don't, uh, don't fear what your neighbors think, um, and, and don't fear God, but love God and, and understand that God uh, means what he says in the Bible, and he has a plan, and it's, it's, it's right there, and you can understand it. Uh, if, I, if I can give an example of this, as a young minister, I was asked by some friends to conduct a funeral for, their, for uh, the man's father. And so I, my first funeral was speaking to a group of people of whom I really had no knowledge. They were new people, two people in the audience I knew. And uh, so I, I talked about these things we've been discussing today in some more detail than we have today. But afterwards, some of the nurses who had been taking care of the deceased in a rest home came up and said, that is the most wonderful thing I have, we have ever heard. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it really was a shock to me because I realized just people don't know this. They are oblivious to the greatness of our Father's plan. And they, again, they, they fear man. They don't right. properly fear and respect God and his word. And, and um, 
you know, we won't get into a whole other show, but, you know, we have a, a pagan holiday coming up that how many people are going to fear uh, their neighbors or their grandchildren or their uncles or their aunts and their mom, and they're going to do that instead of proper fear of the Lord, which, you know, you don't find. Show that. Right. So how many people are going to do this? Show Mr. Nathan uh, the, the, the holy days. How many people are going to be uh, keeping God's holy days? And how many people are going to be keeping, you know, pagan holidays? So we, we, it's probably about time to wrap up. I, I do appreciate both you gentlemen's comments very much. Please share the, uh, the program with your friends out there on Facebook and YouTube. And please join us every Thursday. Uh, almost every single Thursday we're here at 3 o'clock Eastern time. So thank you very much for joining us. And until then, uh, we will keep everybody in our prayers, pray for us, and hopefully we'll see you next Thursday.